Welcome back everyone to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series. I I did not want to start this episode because it is the end. It's the end of Legend of Korra, everybody. And I didn't think I would be this emotional about ending a podcast season until now. <laughs> Uh, so many tears so many tears yeah here Mm -hmm. we are here we are the triple threat and the final triple threat as we've arrived at not just the end of Korra season four but the end of legend of Korra the series because we are covering today the last three episodes 11 12 and 13 of the series so (sighs) it's been a long road it feels like it's been a longer road than it was for avatar we've said this a few different ways already but there's so much that happens in legend of korra it's not just one long story over three seasons it's Mm -hmm. as we'll talk much more about it's four stories over four seasons and so jam-packed so much time passes with these characters yeah no, I I mean, you feel like it's gone by slower than with Avatar. I feel like it's gone by so fast. Like when we started Legend of Korra, it was what, two months ago, maybe three. And now we're redone. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's crazy <laughs> that we're already at the end. We're not at the end just yet because we still have to review these episodes as always one at a time. Today is our triple threat. We'll be handling the three episodes starting with episode 11, Kuvira's Gambit. The episode is written by Joshua Hamilton. Oh, this is probably the last one that he did. Yes. This is the last episode. This is the last. I say goodbye to all these people because these are not just goodbyes. And I and it's a quick note. Bear in mind that for me, I was only introduced again thanks to Amanda. I, I've been introduced to this series to not just the characters and the stories in Avatar and The Legend of Korra but also to the people, the, the people who made it possible, not mm-hmm. just the creators of the show, but Joshua T- Hamilton and, and Tim Hedrick and, and Katie Matilla and Colin Hack and all, all the writers and directors and everybody else who the have made the show possible. The animators. We fall in love with Studio Mir. Mm-hmm. We never take them for granted ever again. No. So it is it is kind of bittersweet for me to think of not just, you know, saying goodbye to the characters that we've come to know and love, but also uh, the people who are responsible for everything. So thank you again, mm-hmm. Joshua Hamilton. This is directed by Colin Heck. Again, thank you, Colin. He has been with us for a while on this journey. Uh, Kavir's Gambit is animated by Studio Mir, and the episode aired de- uh, December 12th, 2014. I'm actually getting emotional right now. <laughs> <laughs> this actually, <clears throat> oh, real quick, yeah. it's the IMDb. This actually uh-huh. is emotional for me because these last couple of episodes, I watched these my junior year um, in high school the day that we went on like for winter break, like, you know how you have mm-hmm. that like short half day usually for school. And then you go on winter break. I watched these I guess. last episodes. I was homeschooled. So I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I'll take your okay, word well, for it. <laughs> public school, that's usually how it happens. Mm-hmm. You get like a half day mm-hmm. and then you get the two weeks off for Christmas. Um, right. And my friends and I, we were all big avatar legend of Korra fans. 
And this aired again in December, literally right as we were about to go on break. So we were just sitting because we had nothing else to do. Like we just went into school for half a day and they had nothing planned. So we were just literally on my laptop watching the finale of Legend of Korra, the entire (laughs) show. And it was like such a core memory. I loved it. Oh my gosh. So fun. So much nostalgia. (laughs) Now that we're both emotional. (laughs) Such nostalgia. Uh, And and the IMDb rating of Kuvira's Gambit is 8.7 out of 10. Take us Mm -hmm. away with those fun facts, Amanda. All righty. So for our first fun fact, the scene where Batar Jr. is captured was originally written to be much longer, but it was later cut down by Michael Dante DiMartino and Tim Hedrick. The sequence would have had Boomy Command... I can't read today, commandeering the airship only to crash it on Air Temple Island after failing to pass himself off as a soldier while conversing with Kavira over the radio. I love that. That is giving such Sokka vibes when he like takes over the airship. This yes. is your captain speaking. It's just like it's it also a... gives me it also it's also giving me Han Solo vibes oh, yes. when we were just talking about Absolutely. that. <laughs> Oh, we're all fine. Weapons malfunction. Here. We're all fine. <laughs> yes. Big How reaction. Are you? Like, very dangerous. Imagine, imagine Booby saying that to Kavira over the radio. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Honestly, that would have been a perfect, like, it would have worked within the scene, obviously, but it would have been a perfect nod to the Star Wars fans and just the Star Wars lore that's been woven into Avatar all throughout, you know, yep. both shows. But yeah, yeah, I'm actually really sad that that scene wasn't done. I think that would have been not only a great callback to Star Wars, Star Wars, but also to the finale of Avatar with Sokka and the ship. Um, mm-hmm. yep. But uh, yeah, so RIP sequence. <laughs> it it uh, rhymes. <laughs> yes. And then our second fun fact is Brian Konitsko stated that Kavira did love Batar Jr. despite her actions. Now, this was like widely debated when this episode came out, um, you know, because obviously at the end of the episode, she blows them all up. <laughs> it's like, um, okay, you <laughs> but. I always, I agree. I mean, Kavira's girl boss in hard. She's like, I love him, but I love my hopes and dreams more. more. Yeah, exactly. It's like, (laughs) if she didn't at least even care for him, she wouldn't have like sighed. She wouldn't have looked so pained when she made the decision to blow up the factory. Like, I'm like, yeah, this was clearly a hard decision, but she just likes the power more than she likes him, obviously, or cares about it more. And so, you know, in her own twisted way, yes, I'm sure she did love him, but it wasn't like, enough obviously the, well, the important well the important thing is she didn't love him the way that he loved her he loved right. her more than their quest for power exactly for her she loved her the quest for power more <laughs> yeah poor guy oh man uh, that's that is what we call a simp he is with. this is why it's this is why it's really important to you know compare life goals and priorities mm, and getting in relationships yeah just make sure you're on the same level so you don't get blown up when your girlfriend <laughs> conquers the world yep good good advice uh our third and final fun fact and i thought this one was just funny for you is brian konitsko ships mako with the female radio operator from republic city's communications room I thought that was the most random thing. I was like, what? That character that had like one line and had barely any interaction with Mako. Oh man. And it was also, fun fact, voiced by the actress that voices Pema. So it's just like, what? I guess. Why not? I mean, she's kind of hot. 
both sure. government officials, I guess. Would uh, yes. Why do I? Why, we're we're just trying to figure out someone to pair Mako with. It's like that scene from. It's like the winter. It's like in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, where like Black Widow's constantly trying to set up Steve <laughs> yeah. Rogers with all the different people. You know. Yep. No, we all know that Mako belongs with. It's it's close case plus. but uh yeah that's the last of our fun facts um so where do you want to start this episode because well i'm gonna i'm gonna start right at the beginning where she it's it's kuvira and she's she's giving us a strong uh art school failure dropout vibes with her big (laughs) speech her, her inspiring speech to the masses of everyone they're going yes chef is she's like giving her orders for how to how to absolutely destroy the world um and I love where she says the thing, not even, I'm sorry, did I just Varric right there? I love where she says the, she says the thing, Kavira, no. say the thing. I love where Kavira is like, not even the Avatar can stand in our way. And I'm like, especially not the Avatar. What are you oh talking about? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> especially not girl. literally the, not the worst bender in the world can stand in our way. Bruh, you take that back. <laughs> no 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 we do not we do not but i keep throwing shade on the fact that every single step of the way until probably the next two episodes after this one cora mm-hmm. is like has everything in the world holding her back constantly like there have only been those few moments in the show where her bending really truly is like a cut above everyone else she is with mm-hmm. and i i've always felt and like i said this has never been really i i say it that way but it's never a dig at cora herself it's just like why she's why? so underpowered <laughs> she's like any other bender on the show just that she can bend all four mm-hmm. elements well five including metal i guess Right. But, like, she can bend everything, but she's not particularly more powerful unless she's using the Avatar state. And, like, I get it. I get all the reasons why. But I've and I've griped about it before, but I'm like, come on, you know? Make well, her at least a little more powerful than everyone else. So, I actually had a theory about that. And, again, I said this before. The kids in Avatar are way too OP. Like, let's just get that out I mean, there yeah, again. Actual monsters. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But... I think that it also has to do with the actual lore of the world building in Legend of Korra in that, you know, Aang, he was learning from not just masters, but like, not, you know, they're like original bending type masters. Whereas Korra Mm -hmm. is learning mostly the new style of bending, which is quite different from, you know, the original, you know, more martial arts as opposed to MMA fighting that she has. Right. And so because the styles are very different of bending between Avatar and Legend of Korra, I think that by comparison, Korra's bending seems weaker. It's just that it's different. Like it's not that it's weaker per se, but again, I think the kids were super OP. Um, But I think that that's something that a lot of people don't really take into consideration. It's not the same kind of bending that like Aang and Katara and, you know, Toph all learned. but the, bend, the, bending, the, kids, the kids these days will never know how bending was back in my day. Honestly, I sound like tough right now. You literally, it's like, I think that is the, the case. It's a different kind of bending now. Um, but, it, you know, it's evolved. But yeah, so yeah, it's, it's evolving just backward. <laughs> oh, my God. It's evolving <laughs> just backwards. 
yes but it is cool to see her totally unleash all her power in the next two episodes but yeah she she doesn't really have a lot to do bending wise in this particular episode that is true right so so they so they know that kuvira's army will be headed for republic city um and that it will be there in two weeks Mm -hmm. at least that's the eta that they give and when the enemy is like yep it'll take us two weeks to get (laughs) there it I reminds just... <laughs> me it reminds me of Star Trek the Wrath of Khan. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Do you remember where they know that Khan is listening in on their transmissions and <laughs> yes. so they give this like encoded like fake time of what it mm-hmm. will take for them to fix everything? Yep. He's like, "Oh, it's going to take like this many days for them to fix it." Wow. Like I feel like that that's what Kavira's guys must have been like. They're just like, "Yeah, it's going to take us like 2 weeks to get there." It's like that means 1 week. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was just waiting to, like, because I don't believe that we ever see that conversation that Julie, like, tells them that she witnessed, but I wouldn't have been surprised if they, like, did a storyboard of it or whatever, and they did it to where, you know, Julie's, like, behind a wall listening or whatever, and she walks off when she gets the information, and then Kuvira, like, does that, you know, anime grin, like, the the close-up on the grin, and she's like, I know she's gonna take that to Republic City, and she's gonna, they're gonna be screwed. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if that's out there somewhere. Speaking of Julie, Julie makes her return back into Varric's life in this episode because yeah. he's there motivating them to work on the mechs, the uh, the flying mechs, the hummingbirds as they yeah. call them. <laughs> and and uh, and I love when Bolin comes walking in and he's like, Varric, I need to talk to you. He's like, can't you see I'm busy inspiring my workers? <laughs> yep, he's just yelling at them. <laughs> Tighten <laughs> things <right>. tighter. <laughs> yes, and I love that like, yeah, well, first of all, I love Julie's, like, total change of outfit and style. Like, it kind of reflects, like, how she's no longer playing the assistant to Varric anymore, mm-hmm. and I love that. Um, but, like, I love that she totally calls him out, because he needed it. He needed to be called out. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> but, uh, he did. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, the way he'd be treating people is not okay. Um, but, and of course, he doesn't get it immediately, because he's pretty thick-headed, but... Um, I do love that she got her moment to kind of really, you know, tell him how it was and just be like, yeah, yeah. I'm not playing second fiddle to you. I'm not going to be your assistant or your servant. Like, if you want right. me around, you got to treat me like an equal. And I'm like, yes, queen. <laughs> That's but, right. Uh, yes. Well, but, and I yeah, love that great. this starts this arc over the, these three episodes where not only are we seeing the culmination of Kuvira's attack on Republic City, uh, but we see this arc begin of Julie and Varric and their reconciliation as mm-hmm. now that he's back in her life, you know, she clears the air here where she you know, tells him that all the things she said about him weren't true, that's not how she feels about him, that you know, she's you know, totally, totally thinks he's great and wants to be with him and everything. And of course, like you say, if Eric doesn't get it, he's like, great, back to being my assistant. She's like, no. Um, but I like that it's this uh, this ongoing thing through the next few episodes. I really love it. I would have, I really, really would have hated it if they had just dropped it and she was just back and it was just back to being the same old thing or they never took it to its logical conclusion. Oh, yeah, no. And I love that they continue a joke that was in an earlier episode of season four where you think that Varric's about to get like really sentimental and sweet towards her. Like I love on the train when he like saves her from falling off. And he's like, of course I saved you. I can't clean this place up by myself. 
And then he does the <laughs> same thing here. <laughs> Apology accepted. <laughs> like, oh my god, you dense idiot. <laughs> I love that he puts the hand on her shoulder. It's like the opposite of the hand yeah. on the shoulder. Hey. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, buddy. Yeah, no. It's, it's the it's, worst. <laughs> it's so in character, so I can't be too mad. But uh, yeah, I do love just their story in general for the last couple episodes is so great. And, you know, as a huge, yeah. obviously, I mean, everyone that listens to this podcast knows how big of a fan of Varric I am. So the fact that he got his own, like, mini subplot within the finale, I was like, yes. Uh-huh. And it was a romantic subplot. We love to see it. So <laughs> good. The, I love how the Julie and Varric subplot is better than any of the romance stories, <laughs> yes. actually, with including the main characters that it's took, true. like, two seasons. Yeah, and they barely even focus on it, and yet it's still somehow, like, the best romance that came out of Legend of Korra. <laughs> Because when it comes to like something like that, less is better. Less is better. Like <clears throat> make it, you know, make it something that wraps up in a few episodes, short but sweet. You don't need to belabor it. You don't need to belabor it the entire time. Yeah, no. But um, we'll talk more about that in the next episode because they don't actually get really into until the next one. Um, so, so <clears throat> Mako, so Mako gives the orders for the evacuation because, as Prince Wu says, only eighteen families have voluntarily evacuated the city. <laughs> yep, and there's millions of people in Republic City. So Mako ends up putting out the general alarm for people to leave, and it sends the city into absolute panic. <laughs> Because Mako's there in his usual Mako way, just being, you know, hey, everybody, you should do this. And apart from any sort of human emotion, uh, this is how we're going to handle it. And you'll find your textbooks on how to handle this here. And it's in section this and that. Um, yeah, that's not how we do things, Mako. This is a human human tragedy. And you need to treat people like people. Honestly. Like, I felt so bad for him because literally he was like doing fine and people just being idiots of course (laughs) like he wasn't yeah i mean i know what they were going for but i'm like he should have been bad at like giving the announcement but he was doing fine like you're doing amazing sweetie he he trusts people to think like he does which is kind of like mako's downfall in general is that he goes (laughs) to people being like hey here's the facts and he doesn't account for the other person to like see it their way or handle it their way or react differently right he might might have what looks like the start of a character flaw there but i'm not going to (laughs) entirely ride that (laughs) i don't know like i i don't know (laughs) but i do like that like woo's idiotic like plea to the people is what gets the because of course um he speaks the common language apparently (laughs) despite well he well instead of treating them like he's rescuing them he treats them to you know he treats them like they can save themselves because you know he is not a self-sufficient person he's just newly discovered self-sufficiency i thought it was a i thought it was a nice little moment i really did i liked it even if it was at the expense of my boy mako (laughs) Right, yeah, that's yeah. If Wu gets a win, it's usually at the expense of Mako. The entire time, the yes. entire time. <laughs> but I gotta tell you, Mako's Mako kind of season four Mako is not my favorite Mako. Really, see, he's this not is my, so he's, weird because like he's probably my favorite. Mako. 
<laughs> season four Mako is not my favorite Mako because okay, the guy the guy number one, he has like nothing to do. Story wise, he has nothing to do. He's he's babysitting Prince Wu, and I love Prince Wu, but he's just the straight man for Wu. And then he like gets so grumpy about his responsibility that he like shirks it in an episode and blows it off. And it's the time when Wu gets kidnapped, so he mm-hmm. screws up. And I mean, and while this isn't a big one, like here he is fumbling an evacuation notice and like he's not handling it in like a way he should. I'm not saying he's not doing it by the book because he is, but it's not what the situation needs. And I don't know. I don't know. He just like. What is your favorite? Is it season one Mako? Because like he's the only one that has like an actual story. (laughs) Like season one, season four. Those are the only two that he has actual relevance. In my opinion, like, I, I guess a little I, bit in season I, I, two, but I don't know. I kind of like season two, season three, Mako. Where he just kind well, of I, I, I would say, especially, especially season two. But here's the thing Mako, Mako is Ma- okay. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me enthuse over Mako. Okay. Why I love Mako. Here's why I love Mako. There's so many reasons I love Mako. But <laughs> one of the reasons why I love Mako is because the man has an always has taken initiative mm-hmm. in in season one it kind of he takes initiative in the wrong ways right. but season two mako the, the lion's got teeth he right. has agency he's got initiative when things when he doesn't get approval to go for things he figures out a way to go around it and do it anyway the guy is driven he knows it he's got his convictions he knows what he knows he knows he's right he pursues it he he does everything he should the guy is proactive he's brave the guy sticks his neck out he's self-sacrificial like mm-hmm. all these things and i'm sorry he still did nothing wrong because he put himself he put his own neck on the line to have his own honor besmirched to be like oh i'll just lie to cora and tell her that that we're still together to save literally the lives of everyone on the planet i'm telling you the man is self-sacrificial to a fault and the last part, I'm not even kidding about it. But the thing is that here in season three, he literally is just a dude standing around with his hands in his pockets. Every once in a while, making a dumb comment, being, you know, getting his chops busted or being the straight man to, to woo. He's, he's cuffed the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I hate, see, I hate seeing it. Not <laughs> I because I dis, it. not because I dislike him playing straight man to woo, but because I got so used to, actiony detective mako all this time right. but i'm spoiled on him you know <laughs> right yeah i mean i totally get it i i mean like i've said i love mako this season just because i like seeing mako suffer but... <laughs> <laughs> i like my man i like my rogue i like my cowboy i like my 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 rule breaker but also plays by the rules because everybody else is breaking the rules and saying it's the rules so mako looks like he's breaking the rules by following the rules <laughs> It's like, yeah, very paradoxical. <laughs> but, yeah, no, but I do really like him in season two when he's not with Korra because that's not good, Mako. But when he's just on his own or with Bolin or mm-hmm. Varric, it's great because he's like detective yeah. mode. And I love to see yeah. him figuring out like, you know, Varric scheming and, you know, just figuring out what happened to Asami's shipment. Like when he's doing that stuff, he's great. Like I wish that there was more of that in, you know, all the, sh- all the, ep- not episodes, all the seasons, but um 
yeah so i i totally get what you're saying but i do love seeing yeah. him suffer and being the straight man to woo's craziness and you know just kind of it, he feels more i don't know realistic as a character like to me in this I season guess. which you I know i i like that so i don't know i i like him in this season but that's <laughs> just me i get why you don't care for it but I get it. Also, the man progressively with every season forgets more and more that he has lightning bending. Like oh, he's just God. saving it. He's just saving it up for those key moments. Yeah. The but... guy was slinging it left, left and right. Like, like a, season one, Mako used practically more lightning than fire. Yeah. And I mean, I, I would actually call that a fault of season one. As cool as it is to see so much lightning bending, like, yeah, it does kind of like it OPs him and then it nerfs him later when he doesn't use your like so like yep. you should you should have like really either restrained the lightning or had him use it more, you know, throughout the seasons. Um instead of just in like you said, those key moments, which are great. They're right. awesome moments, but like they're very few and far between. So um but yeah, it is really cool uh, when he does break out the lightning bending, especially in this finale, which we'll get to that scene. That's like going to be a whole segment, just me talking about that one scene, because, oh my God, oh, yeah. it's perfect. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so <laughs> anything else in this episode that we need to talk about? Oh, um, there's the oh, there's definitely something we need to talk about, oh, because yeah. Kavira's army <laughs> shows up a week early. Yeah. <laughs> And with a super weapon that makes Lord Ozai's Fire Lord Ozai's dry drill that he brought seem like the most conventional, logical, <laughs> reasonable use of resources ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> as Kuvira's like, as Kuvira's like, you know, it would be really cool. And her engineers like, don't say it. No, be no, be awesome. They're like, don't, don't do it. it. Don't do it. She's like. This I would like to think that she like pulls out this like big crayon draw. It's like like Sokka level drawing yeah. of like of like her inside this like gigantic metal suit with like laser shooting out of her eyes and shooting out of the yeah. fingers, all ten fingers of the mech, and like they're like what the they're like what the hell is that? So like like it's I call it Super Kavira. <laughs> <laughs> like we we can't do that. It's not in the budget. <laughs> yes yeah no i will say you know like we were talking about this when you and we'll get more into it obviously in the next episode but just in first impressions when i first saw this thing like i was kind of shook i was like what the hell like it was a really good reveal of like you Mm -hmm. had no idea what was coming like we knew i knew that you know something was going to be happening with the domes from uh zaofu but right. I had no idea what they were going to be used for. And it turns out they use it to make this giant mech colossus suit. And I'm just like, what? And like seeing it instantly blow away an entire like mountainside watch area. Like, wait, hold like, up. Wait, oh. wait, stop. Hold up. They use the doors from Zalfu to make this. Yeah. Like the, the pedals or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Wait, wait. Yeah. Cause I remember you said that, but I don't, I remember you told me to remember where uh-huh. the domes from Zalfu, where did they go? And now this thing shows up. Are the domes of Zalfu made of platinum? The outside is. The inside that they're able to bend to close it. That way no one can metal bend inside the city. If that makes sense. Like, you can't, if you're a metal bender, you can't can get in from the bend- outside. Was that established at some point and said? Or is that just all, like, no, retroactively? 
I mean, okay. it, was, it wasn't established within the show itself, but it is in the lore. Uh, yeah. Like, that's how they... Sure. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Just like, Makes okay. sense. <laughs> sure. I'm like, because my brain, I'm like, I recall that metal bending that shot, but yeah. now that you say it, sure, it was moved by other stuff. I got it. I got yeah. it. It's just like how with the suit itself, they can't bend the outside, but they can the inside. So it's very similar to, you know, the domes on Zaufu, but... Um, I have so many problems with this mech. (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) Okay, ignoring ignoring the fact, ignoring the fact that I will say it just one time and one time only. Sure, you will. (laughs) No, 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 no. Because everything else, every I, I promise, the word platinum will only come out of my mouth one more time. I will treat it as if it was made of any other metal. Mm-hmm. For the remainder of this podcast, I swear, I swear <laughs> on my Mako body pillow, I will. <laughs> on my love for the Fire Nation, as a Fire Nation citizen, I swear that I will only use the word platinum one more time when I say that if this thing was really, truly, genuinely made of platinum, you literally could not build this thing. It would fold and break under its own weight. It, it, you cannot build something out of that material. It cannot support it. It's like trying to build a skyscraper out of gold. It will bend under its own weight and break and fall apart. That's Spirit it. vines that's, that's, can't burn metal beams. Appar- apparently. <laughs> Platinum beams. That's it. That's all I'm going to say, children. Do your research. We have already talked about this ad nauseum on the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, so they've got the Death Star cannon on this thing, and it just, yeah. and it, it it, it can blow through a mountainside and man you are right when it wipes out that like watchtower mm-hmm. man <laughs> like literally blows yeah. the face of the mountain off it's like oh my god like we <laughs> saw what they... it could do earlier but now it just it's, it seems even more powerful than when we last saw it and i'm just like okay that's a that's a pretty big uh monster we gotta defeat yes <laughs> like pretty big male monster yeah it's too bad that no one else in the earth kingdom is around because that would have been the beacon lit to be like republic city calls for aid a mountain just on fire <laughs> right. all the way back to middle earth <laughs> what if like avatar yes. and middle earth are like, <laughs> like next, they could be who knows maybe all the fantasy worlds are just kind of in one fantasy verse that would be interesting. Oh my gosh, I totally want to now make like Legend of Korra, Lord of the Rings, but like all the airbender kids of the hobbits. Yes, love that. <laughs> it would be. Like a hundred percent like Mila would be Pippin. For sure. 100%. Love <laughs> Dinar- that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. would be Frodo. <laughs> and Boomy's like Tom Bombadil or something. Like Radagast. <laughs> He'd be a random guest, yes. <laughs> crazy and then, yes, yes, it would be. And then, of course, um, Gandalf. <laughs> yes, he would be. <laughs> Do not so... take me for some conjurer of cheap air tricks. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, who would Corby? Um, would she be? She'd either be Aon. I mean, I would say Arwen in the movies, but like, really, it's Aon, like badass chick fighting. Yeah, Asami would have to be Arwen, <laughs> yes, and then Mako, Mak- <laughs> and then Mako, of course, would be uh, Aragorn. Uh, Aragorn and Bolin. That kind of tracks. <laughs> Bolin <laughs> would be Legolas. Yes, love to see it. <laughs> that man, this is great. 
I'm sure somebody's right, well, done fan art of that somewhere, or they've made it to where like Lord of the Rings characters are benders, like which benders they would be. There's got to be a rule out there of like rule a different number that's like if it exists, <laughs> there's number. Lord of the Rings, there's Lord of the Rings fan art parody art of it, like. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Like with everything uh, has a Hogwarts house to it. Every character ever made has some kind of Hogwarts house connection. <laughs> yep, that, that makes sense. So they, needless to say, they can't repel the giant mech because every single way, as you as usual, General Iroh's army shows up just to get stomped. <laughs> yeah, every single time. <laughs> Poor man, it, he needs to retire. I was watching them set up the blockades in the city. I'm like, mm hmm, yep, that'll do it. How long is that going to take to be burned to the ground? Just like, just the, just like, uh, just like the airship stood up to Amon's guys, and just like the fleet stood mm -hmm. up to Unavatu. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll stop them this time. <laughs> I would have loved to be like, then, all right, boys, we're going to really get it this time and then immediately get blown out. <laughs> It'd be a really funny in joke if everyone on the ships were wearing red shirts. Oh my gosh, I'm sure a lot of them were, since most of them are from the Fire Nation. But oh no, the Fire Nation soldiers are just red shirts of Avatar. <laughs> no. Yep, basically. Uh, but then we yep. get to like the end of the episode, and we get the uh, the kidnapping of Batar Junior, and the kind of like I guess what is it, the diplomatic surrender, whatever, that they're trying, that Kavir is trying to get President Raiko to do. Um, yeah, and... well, well I, I was a very smart solution, and I gotta tell you, I was very, at first I was very let down, because you saw, like, classic Korra, like, I'm gonna beat you up. It's like, mm -hmm. you know you're actually not. You're not <laughs> no, going you're to kill not. me. So it's like, no, I guess I'm not. But then they do the smart thing after talking a little bit with him, and he's like, oh, I love her. And Kor comes up with a very, very clever solution, and that mm -hmm. is, okay, cool. Well, I am never letting you reunite with Kuvira again. I'm going to flee, and then when I flee, I'm taking you with me, buddy. And mm -hmm. you, she can have her empire, the empire will exist, but you will never get to be with her. Yeah, you'll never get to see it, or her. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's enough to break him, because like... Yeah. He said he genuinely loves Kavira more than he cares about the Earth Empire. She, on the other hand, does not. Um, yep. So it's a pretty good bargaining chip, like, you know, doing the more psychological torture. Way yeah. to go, Korra. <laughs> Love conquers torture. all. Yes. Um, and psychological torture also <laughs> conquers all, but the, the, the process is a little slower and it's written down in books. Anyway. <laughs> yes. uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I do love, really, like, I never really cared about Batar Jr. as a character before the finale. And, like, this was the episode that I was like, oh, so this guy is deeper than we previously thought. Like, you know, I love seeing him talk with Sue, and especially in the next episode. Um, and I love that he's actually, like, super smart. Like, he knows Korra's not going to hurt him because he's their bargaining chip. And if he, she hurts, like, you know, it's it's he's a really mm -hmm. smart character. Um, and I love seeing more of him in these uh, next couple episodes. And, you know, that kind of all culminates with Kavira blowing up the factory where they're all, you know, holding him hostage, him included. And because yeah. if she it. can't have him, nobody can. Nobody can. For the greater <laughs> good. Um, but uh, yeah. And so it's. It was a really shocking because like this episode, the last two episodes aired together, um, but this episode did not. So we had to wait a whole week and people were doing like, 
you know, the pin boards of like, okay, Maka was closest to the window, so maybe he died. And like, oh my gosh, really? Yes. People were like mapping out where everybody was because there was a bunch of people in the end scene, you know, there's a whole group. Yeah. And so Maka was the one that noticed that Kavira was shooting the cannon at them first because he was closest to the window. And people were like, oh my God, he totally bit it. He's, or he's like gravely injured. Of course he wasn't, but like people were convinced that he was going to bite the dust and that maybe Batar would too. And no, everybody made it out, but like it was really stressful for that week in between the finale and this yeah, episode. That, geez. Yeah, really. Man, oh my god, no who did suffered, they kill? No one suffered like you guys suffered. Honestly. <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry. Like one more thing. I yes. love this is why I love when there's a week's delay, just like in the good old days, without mm-hmm. the Netflix, okay, we've dropped the entire season, enjoy, yes. and everyone just binges it, and there's no drama. Because mm-hmm. you miss out on stuff like this. You miss oh, yeah, out on stuff like, oh, yeah, you want the, the drama to build and the fan community to mesh, and not just, hey, everybody, did you binge the whole season this weekend? No, I haven't. I'm going to binge it next week. Okay, well, hurry up so we can talk about it. <laughs> right. No. Yeah, no, like, and obviously streaming shows have like doing it all at once, dropping all at once. Like that has its benefits for certain shows, certainly. But like, sure. I always prefer the weekly release, even if it's like really hard. Cause I'm like, oh, I just yeah. want to see it now. Like I, yeah. I want to be spoiled. But for instance, I think Disney did the smartest thing ever with WandaVision in particular yeah. when they did a weekly release schedule. Cause, oh my God, I don't know that I've had more like, theories and interactions with you know fandom since god sherlock all the way back in whenever like you know just trying (laughs) to come up with what what was going on what's going to happen next week like just the interaction was so fun you know being up at three in the morning talking to my friends about the episode because they drop at like one in the morning (laughs) like it was so fun and yeah i missed that um i wish that more streaming services would do weekly releases but we know that's not going to happen uh but I hope they do that for Avatar, for the live-action Netflix series. Like, I really don't want it to be dropped all at once, honestly. I want to wait. I want to get that, like, feeling of anticipation with every you know, new episode. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, anyway, um, what did you think of this episode overall? Like, how would you rate it? Um, the episode is a build-up episode. Um, mm-hmm. And so on that note, it's not like it has like slam bang finishes other than the big dramatic end to it. You know, the episode is kind of half like preparation and looming, which is again, isn't a bad thing. But because of that, it's not exactly the highest rated episode. It's not a super rewatchable one. It has a lot of moving parts in it, but it's good. I mean, honestly, I think I'm just going to take the lazy route on this and agree with the IMDb because it's basically <laughs> my rating and give it an 8.7 out of 10. Nice. Uh, I pretty much agree with everything you just said. It is a build-up episode um, and, you know, building up to the two finale episodes. And it's really good. It's not like, you know, the greatest episode ever, but I think I'm actually going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Nice. Real good. Well, that brings us to episode 12, Day of the Colossus. Uh, The episode is written by Tim Hedrick, is directed by Ian Graham. These two, these two are such a good duo. Like they they brought us so many good episodes. And again, Tim Hedrick, hats off to Mr. Bossing Say himself. Mm -hmm. So Yes, sir. Been with us from the the very beginning. Not oh, the very star, but <laughs> Avatar as well. Yes, 
Uh, the episode is animated by Studio Mir, and it aired December 19th, 2014. The IMDb rating of Day of the Colossus is a whopping 9.2 out of 10. Take us away with those fun facts, Amanda. These are so lame. I'm so sorry, guys. This one didn't have a lot. Oh. <laughs> Our first fun fact is this is Milo's last speaking role in the series. Not Milo. Oh, no. Not Milo. <laughs> Mr. Rizmaster. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because like you know milo actually has a pretty sizable role in this episode like you know he kind of helps he lead the attack on the colossus and so i'm glad that he yeah. kind of goes out with a bang you know good for him yep. um and our second fun fact is that this episode along with the last stand make up only uh, make up the only two episodes in book four to be released together as an hour-long special which we already do so it's not a really a fun fact but anyway <laughs> It's funny that it's not a part that's not a part one and part two, unless it's like the last one. Because if you recall, I was pointing out to you just the other day, the the last two episodes of season three were technically a two parter Mm -hmm. called Into the Void, and And part two of it was just it just got the extra subtitle added. I'm guessing this one's the same way. It's Day of the Colossus part one and two, and the subtitle (laughs) the next episode it gets it so well here we are everybody we're fighting the colossus made of that mystery element that shall never be mentioned again in this podcast god please no and i gotta tell you the fight is cool the fight is cool yeah it is very cool (laughs) but before i say how cool it is okay oh my god here we go i have to open with once again I don't know who taught the the main characters in Legend of Korra strategy. The the kids in the Avatar had had like they had an excuse, as you said. They're twelve. The fact they're twelve, they have so much excuse, and they're mostly well, they're mostly thinking off the top of their heads. Mm-hmm. But I'm just gonna say for the record, they're <laughs> fighting a 250 foot mech with paint and trip wires. And lava. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry. This sounds like an Aang idea from like season two of Avatar. What if we give the mech a giant hot foot? Yep, that'll do it. I'm sure, buddy. I'm sure we definitely shouldn't um you know suck all the air out of the out of the cabin so that Kavir will pass out pass and be it. unconscious. <laughs> We don't have to kill her. We just need to we suck her the air until she loses consciousness. Or I don't know. You could. Cr- well, here's the best part of it is the whole the windows are just glass. The windows are just glass, man. Anything that they cover the whole thing in ice at one part. There's no way you couldn't tell me that it couldn't occur to somebody to shatter the windows with some icicles. I told you before. I've told you before. I, I I messaged you during this thing because I was going bananas during this entire episode mm-hmm. if you if you freeze ice to minus 50 fahrenheit which is not some insanely unachievable temperature like it is reasonably reached at many parts of the earth this is a naturally occurring temperature right. you can puncture metal with it because it is harder harder on the most scale than iron you don't tell me that you can't <laughs> the shatter the glass i am <laughs> 
Well, here's the thing. It begs it because they're so like, oh, look at the science we're achieving. Sure, some of it's fantasy magic stuff. We're taking magic spirit vines and putting it in a machine. Dude, there's so many things you can do. Break the glass and fill the entire cabin with water. Break the glass or puncture the top of the thing. And again, suck all the air out. Fill it with lava. Fill it with dirt. With <laughs> dirt. Blood the thing out on the inside. Freeze her in place. Like, there's all kinds of ways to stop her. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> and I'm sorry, why, if the metal benders, and this is my favorite one, if the, once they get inside it, and I'm, slean, I'm leaning into the next episode just a tiny bit, <laughs> okay. because I don't want to make the next episode all about what they do to destroy the thing. Right. But if they, if they, if the thing is only a platinum, oh, I broke my rule, shell... <laughs> on the outside but all the inside just normal metal works why can't they sense it and manipulate it and if you say it's because they can't see it well they can see all the controls that she's telekinetically moving with metal bending through the windows <laughs> they could jump on the thing pull rip out all the controls turn them into pretzels and they, they could do all kinds of stuff but they just don't oh goodness <laughs> The problem with the metal bending, as I, as I kind of intimated in the last episode, the metal bending is awesome. And I'm going to talk about this way more in our conclusion of the series. The metal bending is awesome, but metal bending is so dangerous in like a common sense standpoint because mm -hmm. you are basically giving somebody the ability to control machines and bullets and all kinds of and we know in a, we know in common logic everything you could do if you could do that and they just don't do it right. at least the four elements are relatively simplistic Contained. debatably debatably water is the most versatile of them but mm -hmm. if you have the ability to thread metal with your mind you automatically win <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's a common complaint that I've seen with people um, towards Legend of Korra is that the bending has evolved too much to where, like, you do have to nerf it because, you know, either it's too OP or it's too nerf. There's no middle ground like there is with Avatar. Right. Um, and so, it, yeah, that's a that's a. I, that's a totally valid complaint. I don't personally have a problem with it, but it's, and I, it's not even a complaint necessarily, so much as an observation. The complaint yeah. is just in the details because right. you know I'm me. Yeah. At least gives me at least validates me to see other people complain about this in particular. I don't feel alone anymore. Yes. Or I don't know. By the way, Mako could just shoot the thing with lightning. Maybe Mako. Wait, wait, wait. We're not there yet. <laughs> As soon as he saw the thing, if he just hit it with one lightning bolt, the episode would just end. Oh my god. Just the whole thing would be a out. microwave. and would be the end of it. <laughs> yeah, that's why they didn't do that. And that's what I'm saying. The incredible integrity. Let's make, let me make my point that instead. The incredible, virtuous integrity of our heroes to not use, what did I tell you? There's like six lethal ways, instantly lethal ways to end this with Kavira that I like just listed in the last five minutes. Yeah. Um, again, gotta keep in mind, kids show ultimately at the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, go I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. 
It's like giving a character a gun, but never letting them fire it because it's a kid's show. It's like, why did you even do it? For the aesthetics. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This episode is mostly action. Um, with a sprinkling of great character moments in between the action. Um, like we said before, not a ton of story going on, but you know, you got this really cool, even if it's not very logical action happening, like in terms of strategy and all that and taking down yeah. the mech. Um, and then on the other side, you got these character moments like Hiroshi Sato coming back into the picture, um, which very was such cool. a nice surprise. You know, I thought that honestly, I thought that him reconciling with Asami was going to be like a one and done kind of thing, you know, for that one episode. And okay, so she's working to forgive him. And then we just kind of leave it at that. We don't need an ending. But I was actually really surprised to see him show up in this and that they do get an ending in the next episode. Um, but uh, so it's really cool to see them working together. And then <laughs> on the side of that, Derek and Julie, we get our proposal. Like he proposes to mm -hmm. her and it's incredible. I love and it. <laughs> we learn Julie's full name, Julie Moon, which. I don't know why that shocked me. It's <laughs> like, oh, he has a lot of It's a beautiful ring that he made or yeah, got or whatever it's like it is. A like a jade ring. <laughs> like, yeah, which, it's insanely gorgeous. Which was actually a fun, I don't know if you realize this, because remember, Varric is from the Southern Water Tribe. And the Water Tribe's yeah. tradition is to make an, a betrothal necklace. But mm. he made her a jade ring, which is the, cu the custom of the Earth Kingdom, which is where Ju uh, no, I was gonna say Julie, Julie is from. So I love mm -hmm. that little detail because like that's yep. something so easily like, oh, you just made her a ring because that's what we associate with proposals. But like, no, it's actually like the culture of the Earth Kingdom to do that kind of thing. Um, Varys is a smart guy when he applies himself toward <laughs> romance. He's like yeah. the most romantic guy ever. He would plan like the most amazing like 15 step <laughs> date, you know? Yes. And as we see later, he plans the most beautiful wedding. <laughs> yes. With a mover filming it and everything um but yeah. yeah i absolutely love you know just them finally sealing the deal it's so great i loved um, it so much i loved yeah. it so much i was so happy <laughs> yes and i wasn't expecting it like genuinely i just again just like well, she wasn't either he just pops out of nowhere with the ring like boom he's been holding on to that he had that for a while i'm sure like he just was waiting for the right moment right as they're about knowing, to die why not <laughs> knowing how it goes yeah probably <laughs> yes um you know asami's dad coming back with the whole plasma cutters thing to cut open the outside shell of mm -hmm. this mysterious mystery metal monster um to get into the inside of it was the dramatic point and when that happened it stopped being for me this just like oh let's just have fighting and fighting and fighting this thing mm -hmm in ways that my brain is just unraveling the tactics involved and it turned into something i'm like okay setting all that aside this is awesome because they need to get inside of this thing right because they need to be able to destroy it from the inside because very clearly attacking from the outside doesn't work i love that they created this as a scenario where they needed to get on different parts where mm -hmm. they could get onto that part long enough to cut it open yeah <clears throat> and this is where some of the coolest part of the action shows up because i mean i loved one of the main parts I absolutely loved was when they're fighting Kuvira and um, Bolin and Sue and Lin 
topple the top half of a building. Yes. And just <laughs> dump it on top of the the, 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 this is the sheer spectacle of it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And another one that was great was when, um, uh, Kavira fires the cannon in like a stripe across the yes. city and Korra ducks it and the then you just see the like, skyline just explodes. Yes. It reminded me of Tony. It was like a reverse of like Tony Stark standing there with all the bombs going off behind <laughs> him, the, the Jericho missiles landing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was I, so cool. Yeah, I just gotta say, since we're talking so much about the action beats in this episode, like they are stunning like truly they are very stunning so beautifully directed and shot and animated and like the sound effects are obviously incredible um and i love little things like and i said this you know i think it was a couple seasons ago but the majority of the time that she is fighting in this in these next two episodes core is using airbending and it's yes, which gorgeous. I'd love some, to see. Yeah, some of my favorite shots in the episode are just her winding up the airbending and then striking, you know, the mech suit. It's so fluid, so beautiful. And also, I didn't mention this somehow. I this slipped my mind way back when uh Korra first came back to Republic City. But season four Korra in her water tribe getup is is peak it is peak cora it yeah. is the best design of hers in the entire show and i'm so glad they left it for the very end of the season of this yeah. show in, in general um i absolutely love it i love the darker colors on her and like the short hair is just mwah, chef's kiss mm-hmm. i love it um we just had to throw that out there and she looks so cool <laughs> when she's fighting the mech in this outfit like oh my well, god you know what i love i love that she's doing that whole like her body like her top half is like out of the top of a tornado mm-hmm. and she's like you yeah. using the tornado to generate she does that and i feel like i haven't seen her truly do that since like season, season two. two yeah <laughs> yeah she used that and i mean like a early season two mm-hmm. she used it for that like before she ever went to the spirit world she doesn't even do it when she's in the avatar state which is even better because it was like her avatar state cora move where she's like flying mm-hmm. around like that and now and i was waiting to see like, her eyes lit up while she's doing that and they weren't so i was like hey cool yeah, she's good on you like, yeah she's always been this has kind of been a signature move of hers one of her signature moves is like yeah either air for you know later seasons or water tornadoes that you know help her to move around and yeah. depending on the terrain she's on um, she's always been super good at that. I mean, remember in season one when the attack on the arena with Amon, she shoots up so freaking high in that yeah. giant tornado of water, and you're just and she obviously just barely misses it, but it's like, damn, mm-hmm. that is really high. <laughs> like, and yeah, never, good. <laughs> at least not with the, <laughs> the help of the Avatar State. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it is really really cool, and I love that she is just throwing her all into the battle. She is doing everything she can from know chucking giant rocks at it to you know using her firebending to fly around including the you know air tornado Mm -hmm. and then at the very end she again huge display of water bending and she doesn't water bend at all in the finale except for this one moment but it's very cool you know she raises like a 25 story building of water from the river and she freezes it instantly to just like immobilize the mech tank and it's so cool and like it's a very underrated display of watermen because like this shit was tall. There's a lot of water yeah. that she froze almost instantly. We'll, we'll see and and especially with her being primarily a waterbender and being the avatar, this is one of those moments where I'm so happy for her because it lets again 
stepping back from like mm -hmm. a, a into like a writing like why do we not see her do more impressive water feet she's the avatar for crying out loud and to see her do this one you know we saw ang ex like use water to like extinguish a volcano or whatever he did like, like yeah. or push a or was it earth bending to like raise the mountain up i can't remember which was which and it was both confusing him. <laughs> him, okay but like we see him push a fleet like out of the water at the avatar state like mm -hmm. you know we've seen this amazing stuff and so for her to do that was like an actual display of real true power of the avatar and like i love it you know yeah. i f i fully believe in the avatar as a character being better than everyone else maybe not leaps and bounds better but mm -hmm. better than everyone else but for the struggle of the avatar to be other things you know right. as we'll talk about in 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 the in the third episode um you know i'm all on board with that you know, right. I, I think the show hasn't has been consistent with it. This is what I love. I love seeing these displays of power from a, from a character that is flawed in other ways. Um, sure. But the you know, the real strong point was, of course, the finale of this episode, which is uh, Asami's dad and Asami in the final hummingbird cutting mm -hmm. open the thing. And Asami's like, we got to go because the ice is cracking and the arm is going to come down and kill them. Yeah. And instead of knowing that when he knows that if they leave they're going to miss their chance they probably won't live anyway they probably right. won't get away in time and so he just tells her he loves her and hits the ejection sheet on just her so that he can finish cutting the hole mm -hmm. and i was sure they were going to balk on it and have him like oh he got out some other way or when it hit him he went the the windshield broke and he went in the hole and mm -hmm. and so only the suit got smashed no he's dead and i love yeah. it yeah, it's. I don't love that he's dead, but it's the right choice to do. Right. No, absolutely. And like, I, I was the same. I was sure that, like, because we knew he was going to finish the whole, like, how else would the episode end? But I thought, just like you, that he was somehow going to be pushed into the hole by the hand coming down or like the, Something the like hummingbird that. itself would have been pushed in. But no, and I would have hated that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that because been it, makes, it makes this, it makes the stakes so real. Yeah. And like this character that, you know, obviously started as a villain and has now redeemed himself in the eyes of the characters and ourselves, the audience, like suddenly to be taken so violently, like, but doing a heroic act, self-sacrifice basically yes. is like super emotionally impactful. And I was, again, maybe I just have a super sick mind, but I was sure when I saw that hand come down and like it, they removed the hand and you saw like the smushed, like hummingbird, I thought that there was going to be blood like splattered everywhere. Like, it, I was like, oh my God, please don't. And they it was, did it. It was a different time. It was a yeah, different time, Amanda. They didn't do that, but I was like, oh God, I don't want to look. Um, yeah. But yeah, and so it's it's really, really effective. And I do love that, you know, we have not only Asami and Hiroshi, her dad, but we also have Batar and Suyin and their reconciliation, which, you know, I love a redemption arc. I love a forgiveness story. Um, and that's like a beautiful just little scene but it feels so real like you can just feel the anguish between these two characters and coming to terms with like yeah you you real royally fucked up but we're gonna work through it as yeah. a family and like i think oh, that's beautiful like you know it just they didn't have to do that but 
Yeah, it's a very necessary scene. They didn't have to circle back to it. They could have made the whole plea for for you know her when they were interrogating him and left mm-hmm. it at that. And he's injured and never addressed it again. Again, they didn't have to, but yeah. no, it is it is great that they did that to provide closure for us of of where he is, especially because they've you know this whole season, last two seasons has been about you know their family and we've got mm-hmm. really invested in them and we love the characters so you know we couldn't leave that really it couldn't it honors all the investment we've put into the yeah. Bayfong family for sure so um well the episode overall um is again it's a great episode all of my complaints are very meta they're mm-hmm. on the outside of it they're not about the show itself they're not about the way the situations are done the action is is as you said it's beautifully done extremely well done i think the scale of the conflict is depicted in a great way the destruction to the city the the struggle against the mech and the fact that you introduce those human elements into it too this episode is a straight nine out of ten for me nice um i think i'm going to stick with the imdb rating of 9.2 out of 10 i think it's great um yeah like again i even had those thoughts just because now you infiltrate my thoughts when i'm watching <laughs> avatar and legend of Korra. <laughs> i'm like how else could they have done this in a better way um but so that i did have those nagging thoughts in the back of my head but it wasn't like enough to fully be like no it's a bad episode because they didn't you know, destroy the thing quicker, better, whatever. Um, But uh, yeah, I do love all the character moments. I love the ending with the, you know, kind of cliffhanger of Hiroshi's sacrifice and the little moments between Varric Julie, Batar and her and his mother. Um, So yeah, it's a really, really solid episode and it leads into a very solid finale, in my opinion. Speaking of which, we have arrived and the last episode it is episode 13 of season four, The Last Stand. The episode, very fittingly, is written by Michael Dante DiMartino, because how could we not conclude the series with an episode written by one of the creators, not only because it is the honorary toll of the bell that is the ending, but because there's so much wrap-up of where should these characters that he and Brian have lovingly created, where are they going to end up? Um, The episode is directed by Mel Zwire, animated by Studio Mir. The episode aired uh, December 19th, 2014, and the IMDb rating of The Last Stand is a solid, impressive 9 out of 10. Take us away for the final time with those fun facts, Amanda. All right. So for our first fun fact, the waiters at Varric and Julie's wedding are dressed like Nuktuk in the Adventures of Nuktuk Hero of the South. Oh my god. Oh my gosh, are they? I didn't yes. even notice. I'm gonna rewatch yeah. that. I love that, that that little detail, and that the whole, even though they're in Republic City, which is obviously not a frozen tundra, the whole vibe of the wedding is like Water Tribe themed. I love it. Um, water Tribe. <laughs> water Tribe. Uh, our second fun fact is that during Mako's sacrifice, the way the sound effects became more muted as the score dominated was a callback to the initial sound mixing for Zuko and Azula's Agni Kai in Sozin's Comet. Yeah, I, I totally was getting Agni Kai, Sozin's Comet vibes from that scene. And we'll, Which we'll also talk about- very fitting, very yes. fitting, because he is from the Fire Nation. Exactly. <laughs> they, they are very simple people um we they love epic battles and awesome music um but we'll talk more (laughs) yes that too we'll talk more about that specific scene later because i have a lot to say about that one scene 
Um, and then our final, final, final fun fact for Legend of Korra is the last word spoken in the episode and thus the series is perfect, which is also the last word spoken in Avatar The Last Airbender series finale, which is just that. Mwah, perfect chef's kiss. <laughs> like, it is. <laughs> what other word is there but perfect? <laughs> it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> yes. Well, I get to jump right in okay. on what, what for me really truly and i have to say this you asked me about this last time you asked me what i thought was the best fight in legend mm -hmm. of Korra. you know what this Ooh. was it Korra oh. versus kuvira in this finale and i'm gonna have a lot to say about this so mm -hmm. this is this is me taking the stage for what's <laughs> not complaining about giant metal max because that's uh, that's over with almost but with what I think was the most impactful thing, and I have to tell you, I'm going to title my monologue I'm about to make, this is the fight that saved season four. <laughs> nice. I would dare to go to say, this is the fight that saves Legend of Korra. Damn, that is quite here, a title. Here is why. Because, first of all, the fight is insanely good. Mm -hmm. It is Korra and Kuvira coming face to face for the last time. The last time, and they you are, might say. <laughs> and they are, yes, and they are evenly matched. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they are evenly matched as we are watching them in this insanely gorgeously animated fight in this close quarters, you know, bridge of the Colossus of them mm -hmm. fighting in a terrible place because Kuvira has nothing but ammunition right. to use. It's it's if if Korra was the red lotus, she is in the <laughs> middle of Zaofu right now. Like right. she is in, and so she only has the elements at her disposal which as we talked about is not water. There's no although there was something moving as liquid. Was that Kuvira using metal like it, it was, was liquid it was liquid was, mercury basically yeah it's the it same stuff that yeah. poison cora as a cora's like there's no way i'm touching that again yeah okay. no and that's well just real quick since you brought that up um i'll let you get back to your tangent but i absolutely adore that shot of kavira shooting the liquid mercury towards her it, and it she bends around her literally she like completely bends it around herself and away from herself redirecting it just like waterbenders do yeah. and i just like it is a gorgeous shot and it's so beautifully thematically like oh I, I love it so great so good anyway, amazing <laughs> no yo and again just part a perfect example of how insanely good that's just like animation wise just the choreography of the fight is so smart mm -hmm. it's so good but here is the thing that started to occur to me because you had talked about how Kavira, it's been bothering me ever since you said it in like the first <laughs> episode where I'm like, oh, I love this character Kavira. I'm really interested to see what they do with her and how they develop her. And you're like, well, they're kind of not going to. <laughs> yeah. And the whole time it's been bothering me. I'm like, why in the world do we have this character that's so vitally important and we're watching her on display constantly, but we're not developing her as a character. She has no backstory really of like any great depth. Mm -hmm. What is it? What are they holding out on us for? And I realized something that there is a gap left in Kuvira's character on paper for a reason. Mm 
because as she's fighting Korra, it becomes apparent to me as I'm watching, there's that scene, that, 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 that shot, I mean, that I love during the fight, where it's like, there's Korra like holds out her hand and she's gonna hit her with I believe it's a like a blast of air and in mm-hmm. the same moment Kavira throws metal and they yeah. hit each other away at like opposite angles right and in that moment that shot is frozen in my mind and I go Kuvira is evil Korra <laughs> yeah and then Kuvira, they that. <laughs> and they confirm it at the end but mm-hmm. in that moment I went I got it Kuvira is evil Korra <laughs> Kuvira is everything that Korra, all of her personality traits that she's been since the start of the show, and this is a fitting thing to say because I'm literally addressing Korra's character arc, and so this is also an opening for us to talk about it here, mm-hmm. but Korra's character arc at the start of the show was that she was very, you know, very stubborn and very controlling and very my way or the highway. She was very, if you stop me, I'll just figure out a way to go around it. And a very, mm-hmm. I don't care if people get hurt. A very, uh, well, you know, they made me feel this way and my convictions carry me. Mako, why aren't we doing more about this? I'm and the my mission. Like, my, I'm, I'm, I'm like, how do I say this in like the kindest way? I'm the great uniter. I'm the avatar. I'm yep. a person of importance that's supposed to be respected. Who's mm-hmm. going to save? I'm going to save the world. I'm going to save the world. I'm going to save the world. And she was just so full of herself. Mm-hmm. If the responsibility to reunite the world had fallen on Korra and she was given the agency that Kuvira was given, she could have become like Kuvira. Mm-hmm. Kuvira also, again, had her own flaws. One could argue that she's literally just a psychopath. But again, <laughs> yeah. as she but as she explains later after the fight is over, she is somebody who was desperate to provide security that she didn't have. Mm-hmm. It would be very easy for that same logic, that same passion that Cora had in season one to mutate given responsibility to somebody who is too full of her own mind mindless conviction Mm -hmm. for her to turn extreme and the cautionary tale of season four that kavira provides is that if we fleshed her out too much there would be there would be too much to contrast with cora she she wouldn't be a shell a superficial carbon copy of Korra but turned into a villain with a different cause and I think it's very smart writing to write her that way I don't think it is a flaw I choose to believe that it is an intentional move on the part of the writers to not flesh her out so much but to leave it open so that we can make that comparison unmuddied by other details from her life interesting like I I always like, especially when they confirm it at the uh, at the end of the episode when they have their heart to heart. But yeah, it is. Cora straight up says, you know, we're very much alike. We're both determined, hard headed, stubborn. Like, and I I picked up on that throughout the season. That yeah, these two are very similar, and they are kind of mirrors of each other. Um, I never really thought of it as being like this is what Cora could have been if she went down a different path, a darker path, but that is super interesting. And it does make Kavira slightly more interesting. I still would have liked the backstory, but that's just me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I think it is super interesting that like, that that was the moment when they do basically the same move, but opposite of each other. 
and they both end up being hurt by it. And, you know, I think that's interesting. That's the moment that it really like clicked for you, um, that they're literally on equal ground at that moment. Um, but yeah, that, that is really interesting. See, this is why I love this. Like you just, you make me see things in a whole new perspective. I love it. <laughs> I do what I can. I do what I can. But yeah, the, the entire fight on the bridge is incredible. Um, so fast paced, so just brutal. Like they are truly out for blood. Like, yeah, they come to an understanding by the end of the episode. But in that moment, the second this shot has lived in my head rent free. Um, like so many of the shots in the finale have, but this yeah. one in particular always gives me the chills when Kavira, she's like freaking out. She's on the bridge. Cora hasn't quite gotten to her yet. And then the door to the bridge, like the big metal door starts clinking and you can see that Cora's punching it and it suddenly flies open and she just comes yep. in and she's blasting her soldiers and like she is out for blood. She is not talking to this woman. And I just, I'm like, yep. get her ass, girl. I get so hyped. I'm like, get it's her. So babe. good. Yeah. So good. I love it. Yeah, that whole fight, that whole fight is incredible. Um, and meanwhile, down below, an entirely different conflict is taking place as Mako and Bolin are inside trying to stop the mech. Mm -hmm. Now, Sue and Lin start sabotaging the thing from inside, but they are taken out fairly quickly as Kuvira, before Korra can do it, <laughs> rips, rips off. off the own arm of the mech and chucks it. And of course, the gun goes spinning off into the spirit, the spirit wilds, wilds you yeah know? Oh, to to be seen later mm -hmm. um but mako and bolin are trying to stop the inside the 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 reactor from inside with all the spirit vines all coiled up in there uh the power source and of course mako as we talked about makes the sacrifice play and he's i love that scene with him and bolin i think you said you had a lot to say about this but i, I love the sacrifice <laughs> scene where bolin is like you know is this isn't the time to be awesome and of course there's me screaming though the time to be awesome was two episodes ago <laughs> one lightning bolt mako one lightning bolt right. it's made of metal it's made of metal yeah. buddy but okay but. Listen. this yeah this is gonna be my mako moment um this was the moment that i decided i liked mako as a character literally one of the last major things he does it completely turned me around on his character overall yeah, of course. I'm still like, Mako did a lot of things wrong, but he's human. You know what I mean? He is not a perfect person. He makes lots of mistakes, but he grows and learns from them eventually. And this being the culmination of that and him, as you said, he's always been kind of the self-sacrificing, like, you know, he, he sacrifices his relationships for his job. Like it's, it's, it's always a theme with him. And this is kind of the culmination of that where he's willing to sacrifice his life for you know to yep. basically take down this entire you know mecha giant and not only is it just stunningly animated like the lightning animation just lighting up the whole area it just mm -hmm. it looks so good um yep. and not only does do i think that emotionally like i never expected to get so emotional over mako of all characters but like <laughs> I straight i'm up always was emotional like, over mako <laughs> Right. I was straight up tearing up when I first watched this episode with my friends at school mm -hmm. <laughs> before winter break. I was like, are they about to kill Mako? <laughs> like, I, I was wondering if they were going to kill Mako. No, I and I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, I was genuinely like, wow, they're going to do it. They're going to kill him. And this is going to be such a cool, epic way to go out for him. Oh, my God. Um, I was about to say, are you about to be like they should? Are you about to say they should have killed Mako? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> 
listen. But, I'm not. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm not, not mad. mad. But listen. So you have this incredible score swelling, and it's probably right up there with Service and Sacrifice from the end of season three with Jinora's, you know, uh, ceremony. That yeah. and Mako's Sacrifice are my two favorite tracks in all of Legend of Korra. I could listen to them on mm. repeat. They are so fantastic. Beautiful. And just, you got this incredible swelling score. You've got this beautifully animated send off. You know, you've got just Mako giving this, this final act of sacrifice his all. And he is fully ready to go down with the ship. Like, and, mm -hmm. you know, you think he does for a second because after, you know, he gets his arm blasted. <laughs> I'm amazed that his arm was still intact after that. Um, that, you know, he's starting to make his way towards the, towards the exit. And he gets shot in the chest with like a bolt of spirit lightning or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he just falls to the ground and you're thinking, oh my God, did he just die? And obviously he didn't. But for a second there, they really got me. I was like, damn, am I crying for Mako? <laughs> like what? <laughs> and I think, See, honestly, you love him. they should have done it. They should have done it. And, you know, it would have, I know it would have been a bit of a bummer. But considering the reaction that most fans had towards Mako, and obviously you were not there, so the, the hate was very yeah. real for this character. Um, I think people have kind of cooled off a little bit on him now in retrospect. But like, yeah, back in the day, nobody liked Mako. This would have been a great way to kind of redeem him, I feel like, in the eyes of the fans. Because it did for me. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't really care about this character. And then this was the moment I was like, wait, why do I care about him now? Um, and so I feel like it would have just been solidified even more if he did ultimately die sacrificing himself. Um, I know. That I think, be... I think, I think it went out so much that it would have been a bittersweet thing because I see a hundred percent the value in it. I only have two foils for him from a writing perspective. One, we just had like a redeem and death mm -hmm. of another character. So it would yeah. have been repetitive. And two, it would have soured the happy ending of the entire season of the series for Bolin. Right. And because all kind of people would be like, oh Mako died. But like Bolin is such a sugar, you know, a, 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 a <laughs> cinnamon bun. <laughs> He's such a cinnamon roll. How could we do that to Bolin? It was just yeah. it, there's no way he would be able to be happy at the end of the series. That's all. It would it would it would ruin it for him. And that's I I don't know. I think that you could it would be really sad, obviously, but I feel like you yeah. could work it if you just gave the ending a little bit more if time. You do it right. Yeah, yeah. You could make it to where maybe there's like a statue erected or like some kind of memoriam for him. And we see Bolin visiting it like, you know, a year later or whatever and like leaving flat. Like, I feel like you could have done it to where it's not too sad, but it's like we, na we and... name we name a volcano in. <laughs> yes. No, we name we name lightning storms. We name thunder clouds, Mako clouds <laughs> in honor of the lightning. Get hit with a Mako bolt. Yeah. You've been Mako struck. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but no, really, like, if they had done something like that, where they had, like, a memoriam or something, I think it would have been cool if not only Bolin and, like, the main, you know, Asami, Korra, everybody visited, but even, like, his gang members and, like, the pro-benders, like, they all just came and, like, paid respect to him because he what, was a part of what all if their they, lives. What if Mako being such... So, <laughs> Korra's like, so do I get my statue in Republic City now? They're like, not exactly. And there's just this, like, 300-foot statue of Mako erected <laughs> outside the city of him, like, doing the whole lightning redirecting. And yeah. she's like, what? Are you kidding me? 
you kidding me? Yeah. That's the only way I would accept Mako dying <laughs> is if they made a giant statue of him next to Aang in Republic it, City Harbor. It would have been pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so that, that whole scene of Mako's sacrifice is like probably my favorite scene overall in the entire finale Mm -hmm. episode. Um, so I just, I really wanted to to highlight it and how I think it could have been made even better by actually following through and killing him. But I understand why (laughs) they did. It would have been too sad, but moving on. (laughs) In other news of people who don't die. Um, so the ending of the fight with Korra and Kuvira gets pretty wild because they they wind up you know the mech collapses when mako doesn't die and the thing blows <laughs> up um and and i love the way it gets like cut in half when it blows up that was very mm. cool um and then Cora and kavira wind up crawling out of the wreckage and of course kavira is like this is never yet and she <laughs> goes and back the shit out of Cora with a brick to the face <laughs> like damn that hurt brutal okay so here so I get what they did with the whole thing. Here's my rewriting of the script, though. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be long. Okay. The whole like, the whole like, oh, they find the gun, and the gun is like actually able to just feed off of the vines it's entangled in because yeah, that's what it does. So like, magic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so they shoot the gun. The gun's like going everywhere, and find Cora finally stops it and shields it and everything. That's that's cool. Mm-hmm. I kind of would have liked personally because the spirit wilds are kind of like that spirit world creeping in to like the regular world. There's the spirits. Kovira has been like just destroying and absolutely molesting the spirit world horribly by like chopping up the tree and using the vines. And she's Mm -hmm. just, the woman's entire career is an affront to the spirit world. I thought it would have been great if she was like, fighting Korra and like you know they hit some epic fight face off but in the end Korra being the pacifist that she is the spirits would have like gotten a hold of her or even mm-hmm. like the face stealer would have showed up and like gotten her if the spirits would have just dragged Kuvira away and that was her final fate I thought that would have been awesome yeah I could or okay here's a way you can work that to where you have that but also the ending that we get so uh. Let's just say that the thing blows up and creates the portal to the spirit world. Right. Right. And so like they are not transported yet into the spirit world. They're just there. They can see the spirit or the Uh portal has been created and the spirits start coming out as they do. And they see Kavira and they're like, this is the bitch that caused this. Let's get her. And they start, you know, as you say, dragging her into the spirit world. She's like clawing, trying to get away from them. And Korra goes in after her. And, you know, yeah. is it because she goes physically, she's able to use her bending right. in the spirit world and, you know, gets rid of the spirits or calms them down or whatever she has to do to, to free yeah. Kavira from them. And then is like, do you see now why this is bad? What you've caused? Like, and then yeah. we can have the whole heart to heart. Like, I, I think that would have been a good melding of the two yeah. ideas. But yeah. um, I, the only thing that I don't care for, and this is just me, um, is that, like, I'm fine with Kavira being like, it's not over and like running off into the spirit wilds, but her purposefully setting off the gun again and then it's stupidly like not stopping because now it's like way too overloaded or whatever. And then she suddenly feels really bad. She's like, I can't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm just well, like, yeah. oh my God, you dumb bitch. Why couldn't yeah. it have just been that, you know, she just runs off instead of being like, it's not over. I'm not surrendering. She just yeah. runs off into the spirit wilds. Cora can't take that risk of letting her just go off. She has to answer for right. what she's done. 
And so, you know, as she's looking for her in the spirit wilds, the vines start to charge up the thing and then it starts to go off just without Kavira yeah. being the one to set it off. And Kavira gets almost caught in the crossfire and Cora stops it. And the same thing happens mm -hmm. as, you know, I don't know. Yep. It just, it feels like completely unforgivable. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. You can't go from like this where she's on top of the spirit cannon, like actively trying to destroy everything around her, like with a maniacal laugh to suddenly, oh, Woobie, I'm so sad. My parents didn't love me. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I know. It's too much of a leap for me. But I feel like if they took my advice and, like, just had it not be that way, like, just had the gun go off by itself, See, it would have been better, and, personally. And, I, and I'm of the opinion that she should have gotten, like, Amand. Like, that was, should have been, like, <laughs> the out. ending for her. I think they should have wound up in the spirit world and had Kavira be like, ha, see? And, like, pulled it in. And she's like, what? And she's like, well, there's no metal around here, dummy. So, like, what are you going <laughs> to what are you gonna bend? And she's like, where are we? And she's like, oh, you'll find out. <laughs> because I think there's a whole bunch of other people who want their shot at you. And for her to, like, suddenly all the spirits start surrounding her and peering, like, grabbing her and pulling her away. She's like, no! No, and Cora just like coldly walks off into the portal and lets the spirit world have her and just returns like, back where they're like, where's Kuvira? She's like, she's answering for her crimes. It's just like Scar with the hyenas at the end of Lion King. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly the ending I wanted. I he have, he have the heart to heart, but he have Kuvira be like, and now that that's out of the way, bam, hits her in the face with a rock. And like all of a sudden the spirits <laughs> come in. It would have redeemed the whole point of why the spirit world was even introduced. Let the mm. spirits take their vengeance. Let them right. do it. I don't know. I think that would have been more satisfying, but I'm all in favor of villains dying because, right. like, Unavachu got, like, banished and Zaheer got spared, but Aman, the coolest villain, gets blown up by his brother. He goes up like a chump in a speedboat. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Yeah, no, and I, I totally, I like the idea of that. I think it would be very cool, but also I do yeah. love that, like, the whole point of the ending and the way that it plays out is that Cora yeah. has finally learned empathy. And right. she even says so herself that like the reason she's gone through so much struggling, so much pain, so much suffering is because she needed to learn to be humble and to be empathetic towards people, even people that right. are like Kavira or Unalak right. or Amon, whoever, um, right. her enemies. And like that to me is her biggest character moment right there. Like just coming to that realization that like instead of ending in bloodshed or, you know, blowing up a villain or sending one off to the spirit world or to jail, she empathizes with the villain. She has a heart to heart with them. And like, it, I think it does ultimately change Kavira's view of her and of her, you know, what she's done. And well, and, and real quickly of note on that is that there's a, also an additional for whatever it's worth. Uh, this is her first and only enemy that is also a woman. Because mm -hmm. all of her enemies so far have been men. Aman, Unalak, Sahir, all oh. of them have been men. And this is finally a girl-on-girl -girl fight. This is mm -hmm. two women talking and connecting over the conflict that's happened when it's finally just them. Yeah. And <laughs> something I feel like, I mean, Avatar is incredible at female villains. Like, let's just be real. Right. Um, but I do love to see it. And... You know, I think that it does lead to a very, very adult and mature conversation between the two of them. And mm -hmm. I just, I love the way it plays out and that it's in this beautiful spirit world setting and like, you know, 
the the portal itself has created a whole new spirit wilds in republic literally in the heart of republic city um it's it's very beautiful and yeah ultimately they come out and of the spirit world and kavira accepts her punishment and apologizes to su yen and honestly su yen was totally like in the right yeah i I was so glad there wasn't like oh it's you know i understand why you did what you did and took over the world like no everything you've done (laughs) yes (laughs) like you tell her girl (laughs) yeah um the bitch is cray cray but uh yeah and so and then we get the yeah. kind of epilogue oh unless you had more it, to say. yeah no 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 i was just jumped right to the epilogue which is varic's wedding which is awesome i love that bolin's the one officiating and the <laughs> yeah. vows are amazing i figured it's smart like to heaven to hold in sickness and health and to what was the thing that was in there <laughs> like Clean like, or pumice's calluses twice a week. I'm not reading it, which isn't that much to ask. I'm not reading all this. <laughs> yes. And it's a beautiful I, wedding. I loved it. Yes. And just like finding out Julie's full name in the last episode, we find out that Varric is not in fact Varric's first name, but his last name, Iknik Blackstone Varric. And I love that. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Um and yeah, it's like and we see everybody's in attendance, all the characters major and minor are there at the wedding yeah. and they're all in new get-ups which is so always fun to see in cartoons when they change outfits um yeah. but uh yeah and then you know we get they go they go dancing and all that and then Cora kind of walks off to be on her own and Tenzin and her have a sweet heart to heart about basically exactly he he kind of says everything that I feel towards Cora of like you've grown so much over these you know past couple of years like I'm so proud of right. you you've done more change for the world in you know these past couple of years than most avatars have in their whole lifetime like you yeah. know just kind of reaffirming everything that she's done over the past couple seasons and i absolutely love it and then she gives her whole spiel about you know learning empathy and it's it's great yeah. it's so so well written um and then and then we get a real surprise at yeah. the end because she <laughs> ends up talking to Basami and they pretty much have their their little talk about like, well, we've all been through a lot. We need a vacation. You want to go together? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, where do you want to go? And she says, let's go to the spirit world. Yeah. And then they walk off into the metaphorical sunset together, hand in hand, gazing into each other's eyes as they you yeah. know, jet off to the spirit world. And then the internet lost its shit <laughs> because <laughs> the Korosami ship because <laughs> yes. the Korosami ship intro- is introduced yes so i am super curious because this was kind of the big talking point of the whole finale of course um was first of all did you know that this was a thing like did you know that this I, was everything in legend of Korra is pretty much blind sight so no i didn't know this was a thing okay my second question <laughs> did you were you blindsided by it happening no no not at all well as soon as it happened at the end i just kind of was like oh well that tracks you know (laughs) that tracks (laughs) it does you know we have they've both been out of relationships for a while and i in hindsight you know of course it makes perfect sense um but also in hindsight it makes me agree with you harder that asami should have been developed more as a character because mm-hmm. in the end she was just sort of like the best friend almost in the background like it was good and you know it was good that they kind of salted those um sprinkled i mean those those interactions between the two of them the heart to hearts they'd had that mm-hmm. show that they were connected but like asami should have just had more 
you know, yeah. uh, she I mean, we, just had we more. all agree on that. It's, she just had should have had yeah. more. <laughs> exactly. More well, especially and especially and especially with that ending, but I could see how that would have rocked everybody's world, yeah. both in good and bad ways at the time. Yeah, because like I like I was fully aware that the Korosami ship was like a thing in in fandom, but I did not. But did all not... everything is a ship in fandom, so you right. know you don't know what to expect. <laughs> canon. So, and. I wasn't as blindsided by it as some people were because like I could see the nuggets that they were placing, especially in season three and right. in season four, you know, um, yeah. you know, uh, Asami being the one to like make up Korra for Janora's celebration and, you know, holding her hand and then Korra only writing to Asami when she was away for the three years and then right. obviously blushing when she like complimented her. I'm like, okay, so there are definitely crumbs there. Like it was clearly yeah. planned at least from season three onwards. Um, but I can, I can see why some people would be like, where did this come from? I thought they were just really good friends because the way that it's staged and I'm not saying it's bad, it's beautifully staged, but it makes it seem almost like they are like an item. Whereas I see it as they are starting a relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, agreed. It's agreed. not like they are just instantly girlfriend and girlfriend, like they're just going to, you know, go off and be in love. And it's like, no, this is friendship yeah. turning into a romantic it's, relationship. It's a, it's, a new, it's a new beginning. This is, you know, a new beginning for them. Every, right. all, all the conflict is behind them and they, they can finally put everything aside and focus on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, where everything has been going wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For the last, like, four years. The four-year war that Korra's been fighting, like, single-handedly. Right. Although, admittedly, Although, admittedly, I think one could argue, really, in retrospect, when it comes down to the crunch time situations, like, Team Avatar at 50% is just Mako all by himself. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Come on, now. How many, how many situations has Mako literally saved the day in from Season 1 until now? How many fights, how many battles has Mako won? How many villains has he held off for the for Korra to win? Mako, no matter what, he is he is MVP of Team Avatar next to, and admittedly, maybe just as much as Korra herself. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna argue that. He certainly is a skilled fighter and has won his fair share of battles for sure. I mean, he's, he was the only one to get the better of Amon, and, like, that's quite a feat, so... And, and that's exactly what I'm saying. I think it's just that Maku is so key to so many victories for Team Avatar that, like, they would have just outright lost if Maku wasn't there. Whereas anybody <laughs> right. else, you could even... There are situations you could take Bolin out, there's situations you take a lot of people out, there are even... Come at me if you want to, but there's even at least one situation show where you could have just taken Korra out entirely, and like they, they still could have won it, <laughs> you know. But but Mako is like the key piece of the puzzle there. You take him out, they lose every single time. It's like when Hawkeye's not there in the Avengers, right. <laughs> they always lose. Yeah, they always <laughs> lose. So yes. Um, so how would you rate the final episode? The final episode for me is a solid, impressive. 9.7 because wow. the drama is so incredibly high the fight between Korra and Kavir is great the comparison between the two that they make both symbolically and then literally later is superb uh the Mako and Bolin moment and of course Mako's sacrifice again chef's kiss perfect uh Verica is the most just beautiful ending there it's, it's the best setting it's the best ending for it's the best ending we've gotten for a season of legend of korra 
even better than season three in my opinion Mm -hmm. so satisfying so wrapped up so peaceful and with all the characters good and happy we love to see everyone just doing well like Mm -hmm. you know it's good but for an end of a season especially the end of of the series awesome to see everybody there 9.7 out of 10 well damn i think i might have to actually agree with you on this one because it is it is definitely one of my favorite episodes of Legend of Korra. Not quite the 10 out of 10, but like it is right up there. I think it's great. Um, I actually, I agree with you. I like this finale more than I like the season three finale, which is great. It's a fantastic finale, yeah. but like yep. emotionally and just like thematically, I think I actually resonate more with this finale. Like yep. in so many ways, I love seeing the culmination of all of Korra and everybody's character development, but especially Korra. Um, yeah. I love the incredible fight scenes. I love just the animation, the music. Oh my God, the music. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the fact that it is, you know, even though I'm all about doom and gloom over here, I do really like seeing everybody happy, alive for the most part. Um and, you know, the beautiful ending we get with Korra and Asami going off to the spirit world, like, it truly is gorgeous and perfect. Yep. And like, and then playing the Avatar's love theme over the last scene of them is just like, which is the same music yeah. that was played at the finale of Avatar with Aang Katara. I'm just like, oh, the tears. Again, the music is just phenomenal. So, yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you. 9.7 out of 10. And damn we're we're over it's over i can't believe it. it's uh, it's over <laughs> it, it's done it's done but you know it's it feels so good it's such been such a journey and you know if there's anything that the finale really solidified for me from chorus whole monologue um and what she explained to not just kuvira but also to tenzin you know the show is about overcoming fear Mm-hmm. avatar was what it was about but this is about overcoming fear it's about somebody who since the beginning has been crippled by fear terrorized mm-hmm. by Amon, and so down on herself with the fear of failure in season two haunted by the red lotus in seasons three and four mm-hmm. and now finally overcoming it to realize what compassion and peace can be and that is so key because it addresses such a universal you know issue right there Mm -hmm. um that's the huge character growth point for cora uh as a character which has been very overdue you know (laughs) in my point because again from the whole beginning i've loved to see cora as a character i like cora as a character i think Mm -hmm. she's great um I, I wish the show had handled her differently now that I've seen all of it. I really, truly do. As satisfying as it is to see where she's come, I still pull what I've said all along that I feel like they could have done her better and done her better justice in a lot of ways. Um, as a character, I understand why they chose to make her struggle and suffer as much in order to illustrate this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still good. It still works. And it's still very, very good. And in hindsight, I don't understand the hate why the hate that Cora herself as a character would get. Yeah, you know, Ugh, it's ridiculous. The my commentary that I made earlier, I alluded to so far, is that my main criticism of Legend of Cora, in as far as the canon as an entry into the Avatar canon overall, is what we touched on a few different times. They expand on the bending so much. Mm-hmm 
between lava bending and they of course the combustion bending was always a thing but the guy is no longer an anomaly he's like there are people like this you know right. um metal bending and then you know the spirit bending and now there's all sorts of bending blood bending is no longer just some weird witch thing it's like people just have this it's mm-hmm. you know there are people born good at it you know or trained like an absolute psychopath and and the bending is is like you said it's expanded on so much it's so op that they have to work really hard narratively to nerf it and when they do have to do that it just it creates a bunch of plot difficulties and story difficulties and you really have to hope people aren't paying it close or sometimes any attention Mm. to make it work because you've just got too many things at play where anything is possible yeah. There are fights that should have ended in seconds that didn't, that still make no sense. But it, you know, but it, but it's the danger when you expand a world. And I think that that is a misstep. My biggest criticism of the show really is that metal bending still should have been a rarity. Yeah. I don't think like you could solve half the problems in the show by just not making metal bending where like, Oh, we can teach any, any earthbender to metal bend the whole police force is metal benders and i'm like if it was like just the Bayfong line maybe then then it would have made it more impactful when um they meet the Bayfongs in season three which is season three is meet the Bayfongs. right (laughs) you know what i mean yeah no i think it's the only that's the only hole in the whole thing and i get it and i i totally understand because a lot of people that watch the show in its entirety, like that is a complaint that they have about it. Um, and I totally get it from a world building and a lore building. Yeah. It's not the best. Cause it does kind of paint you into a bit of a corner, um, both like really logically easily. and creatively. <laughs> Cause it's like, right. where do you go from here? If it's, this is just so readily available, like what more, like this isn't special. Plastic anymore. bending. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't really bother me because honestly, and this is just me and some people would be like, that's just so lame. The rule of cool is just so strong in this show that I don't care. Like, I'm sorry. I am all about, <laughs> like, I would have more problems with this if it was an avatar because in avatar things are way more grounded. It's not so like, yes. you know what I mean? It's not so yeah. bigger, grander. It's very grounded. I feel like compared to legend of Korra. Whereas Legend mm-hmm. Korra, I just want them to go all out. Like, I am here for all of this craziness. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It, it really is the rule of cool. Just not As long as it's not in the spirit world. <laughs> yes, as long as we don't need no more of that. No more spirit world, please, God. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I get it. I get where you're coming from and where a lot of people are coming from. But it doesn't bother me oh, in yeah. the same way that it does for you and others. Yeah. No, and I mean, and the show introduced us to great characters that overall, you know, Varric is, of course, just pure gold. You know that I love Mako. It's been great to see him grow from, you know, that punk who's breaking everybody's hearts to a responsible leader, a great, a great detective and, and a, a true gentleman in the, in the end where his relationship with Korra uh, stood up, you know, Bolin wound up turning from childish to, you know, still goofy like he is. But, you know, a real true hero. He found his maturity. He found his bravery. Um, Yeah. And again, the show, the show overall, um, I feel like I, I don't mean to compare it to the two, but like, I, I still see Avatar, the uh, the last airbender as the superior show. 
um, just because I, I like the way that it's put together. The characters in it had more longevity. The cast wasn't so big where they could really focus in on character development. Mm -hmm. um, but Korra is just, you know, it expands the world so much in so many ways, technological, cultural. Um, it's been a, a really, really great journey. And once again, thank you for introducing me to these shows because now I can't wait for the, when the third Avatar series is going to come out. Yeah, whenever that will be, given the strikes right now. Um, but yes, I'm I'm so happy that you have enjoyed both both series. Um, I knew you'd like Avatar, but Legend Core was really a hit or miss with a lot of people. So. Well, how do you and how and how do you feel? How do you feel like was I what my overall reaction has been episode by episode, season by season? I mean, it's basically mine. Like you and I have surprisingly had very similar thoughts pretty much across the board overall for this show. Um, you know, obviously it's much more flawed than Avatar, but nothing was ever gonna get as close as Avatar. So like we no, kind of knew that going no. in. Um, but, uh, Light yeah. lightning doesn't strike twice, you know, <laughs> very, very, very rarely. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, it is still a very, very good show with some great elements to it. Fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes. yes. And, uh, some things were even better than avatar, like the animation, the music, like, you know, yeah. and I would even say the avatar themselves. I love you, Aang. You are my homeboy, but like Cora, I'm yep. sorry. I like her more. For sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm just I'm so thrilled that you liked it, and I cannot wait to see where we, as a podcast, go next. I don't know if you wanted to like tease, but oh, we are already planning. We're going to be taking a short break after the season, um, just for a few weeks as we get some things set up. But we're not going to have a very long hiatus before we launch into our uh, next podcast season. And let's just say that we will be uh, we will be following along with a very very famous space opera series. Mm -hmm. What could it be? <laughs> I wonder what it could be. Not something we've referenced all of Avatar this entire time on and off. Couldn't no, be that. Not that. So to, so to everybody who's been following along on this journey all the way, whether you jumped on on Legend of Korra or whether you've been with us all the way since the first episode of Avatar The Last Airbender, thank you to all of our audience members. Um, again, thanks to you guys. You know, Amanda and I just jumped into doing this not knowing if anybody would listen. <laughs> yep. But Did not expect and anybody we, to listen. <laughs> and, and so we also want to say, once again, a very, very sincere and heartfelt thank you to everybody. Thank you to everybody who who, you know follows us on social media who comments thank you for everybody who has followed the podcast who listens faithfully every week we love you guys and uh we'll have a lot more content for you guys coming soon so stay tuned thank you so much guys play me out hotman play me out that's all for today to all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode so feel free to leave a review or comment follow the podcast give us a good rating and all that good stuff you can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.